It's your Tuesday daily delivery. I'm Michael Rand. Glad to be back for another day. Good show coming up. Chip Scoggins from the Star Tribune columnist joins me here in just a few minutes to talk primarily Gophers football um, and maybe the evolution of that offense this season under P.J. Fleck. What uh, what he thinks might happen with uh, Ethan Calcmanis and the and the passing game, especially relative to other seasons, I'll believe it when I see it. But Chip and I will get into it uh, on on that front. We'll get to some Twins and Viking stuff with Chip as well. Got uh, an incredible story about Michael Orr and the movie slash book The Blind Side towards the end of the show as well. First, though. What did I miss? We've been waiting for a while to figure out what's going to happen with Dalvin Cook, former Vikings running back. Um, they kind of parted ways with him this offseason, decided they are going to move on from him, gave Alexander Madison the primary ball carrier duties, still kind of in the mix for what's going to happen depth-wise there. Ty Chandler played well in the preseason game the other day against Seattle, but a little bit unsettled behind Alexander Madison. What is settled now, at least according to reports, is that uh, Dalvin Cook will not um, certainly be coming back here. He is going to the Jets to play with Aaron Rodgers in New York. Just an interesting Interesting pairing up of two players. You see this a lot, you know, players who are kind of getting not towards the end of their career. Rodgers certainly is. Dalvin Cook at age 28, you might not think that, but if you've been studying the running back market at all, you know that it is a it's a pretty tough market to be a running back. And so he maybe is, you know, kind of in the final, you know, two, three years of his career as well. Going to New York, maybe for a chance to win, maybe for a chance to uh, certainly to make money. This is a, a one-year deal worth uh, reportedly up to $8.6 million. But just wondering, um, in in your estimation, you, you, you the fan, does this, uh, how do you feel about the pairing of Dalvin Cook and Aaron Rodgers? Two long-time, you know, <clears throat> maybe rivals is too strong of a word because they're not, you know, they never would face each other on the field you would never see Dalvin Cook trying to tackle Aaron Rodgers or vice versa something would have gone terribly wrong on a play or a play call or something like that for that to have for that to have happened but you know guys who competed against each other for 6 years now since Cook came into the league um interesting to see them join forces the Jets certainly going if not all in then certainly close to all in on this season Rodgers giving up a ton of money more than 30 million dollars in guaranteed money so the Jets could go and get some more of these players like Dalvin Cook now does Dalvin Cook move the needle i guess that's the big question at this point for me does he move the needle for the Jets is he is that too much money to pay for someone of Dalvin Cook's caliber at this point? Because I thought Cook was good for the Vikings last season, but I think you could see him maybe not having quite the same consistent burst as he's had in previous years. Um, the Vikings talked a lot about <clears throat> the efficiency of the running game and how when Dalvin Cook was in the games last year, he was maybe missing holes. They had a lot of negative plays. I don't think anybody had more you know, runs of zero, zero yards or less, you know, zero, one, two, those, those kinds of runs last year. Then Dalvin Cook putting the Vikings in a lot of tough situations. The Jets do not have 
a great offensive line. Aaron Rodgers has already been taking a few, I don't know, shots at it is probably the wrong word, but already has signaled the alarm bells about the offensive line a little bit. So how does that play out? Does Dalvin Cook, is he the kind of guy that can make make uh, make would-be tacklers miss uh, consistently at this point in his career? Or is he, when he's in the game, going to be setting Aaron Rodgers up for a lot of second and nines? I don't know. He's still a very, he's still a good running back. Um, I think the Vikings were, you know, benefited from his services. I think, um, I think it was definitely the time for the Vikings to move on from a salary cap standpoint and from an off-field standpoint. Dalvin Cook has had, you know, this ongoing lawsuit. I don't think that that I don't know how much that factored into the equation, but I hope that it did for the Vikings in making their decision to move on from Dalvin Cook at this point. But he is no longer on their roster, no longer. They're running back to gain from, but no longer their problem in in multiple fronts as well. So Dalvin Cook with the Jets, interesting to watch that evolve this season, how that unfolds with Aaron Rodgers, how that whole experiment happens. Um, just jumping right into the hard knocks fray. He's still recovering, it sounds like, from his off-season shoulder surgery, um, which, you know, um, we'll see how that impacts him this year as well because he's had plenty of health concerns in the past. But Dalvin Cook to the Jets. We'll see how he and Aaron Rodgers fare this season. MGM Wine & Spirits is the choice for savings, service, and a great selection of spirits, pre-mixed cocktails, wines, and, of course, ice-cold beers and hard seltzers. With over 30 locations throughout the Twin Cities and beyond, there's an MGM near you. Head to MGMWineAndSpirits.com to find a convenient location in your area. Get social. Follow MGM on Facebook and Instagram for all the latest news and trends. Make great moments with MGM Wine & Spirits, your locally owned and operated choice for over 50 years. Save time, save money. Shop MGM. I want to talk college football and some other stuff today, so no better person to do that with than Chip Scoggins from Star Tribune, uh, columnist, longtime college football writer before that. Chip, how you doing? I'm doing great, Mikey. How are you? I am good. You know, it's mid-August, Chip. We're starting to kind of think about football. Um, and you had an interesting piece the other day about P.J. Fleck, the Gophers offense, just kind of like what it's been in his first six years now. And what's interesting, and you pointed this out, and we've talked about this before, what's interesting is he's very new school in a lot of ways in terms of his attitude, in terms of how he runs his program. I think he's going to be one of these younger kind of upbeat coaches. Um, At the same time, though, he runs a very kind of old school run first option uh, of offense, not option offense, but, you know, that's the option he prefers you wrote that maybe that could change this year. He's being pretty secretive about what they're going to do this year. And that leads you to believe that maybe there's some changes afoot with, uh, with the quarterback they have and, you know, and some of the running backs they no longer have. Yeah. It's uh, they had their first open practice of the year and they let fans in big 10 network was here. They're, you know, they're making the rounds to all the training camps and, I wasn't there that night, but every writer was there said it was the most vanilla basic practice they'd ever seen. They basically worked on handoffs. They perfected <laughs> handoffs that night. They showed nothing. And then um, PJ is he's he promoted co-offense coordinators after Kirk Schrock had left. Uh, he elevated Matt Simon and Greg Harbo um, to co-offense coordinators this this season. But he is declining to reveal which one will call plays, which. He wants to keep Nebraska guessing for, I assume, competitive advantage. I don't know 
if Nebraska had that information, how that would really impact their, right. their preparations. Um, yes, Matt Simon has called plays before, but, you know, not extensively and certainly not with his personnel. So it's just all kind of been oddly secretive um, with uh, regarding their offense. And, and my theory is I think we're going to see a different offense, a more passing offense, because – up until this point, as you mentioned, his first six years, the quarterback has not been the strength of the offense. The quarterback no. has not been the best player on the offense. No. Um, even you go back to 2019 and the great year that Tanner had, Oregon had, if you looked at their number of passes, Mike, they were still 105th nationally in the number of times they threw the ball per game. They just maximized those. You had two NFL receivers who who maximized those, so it skewed the number, skewed our perception of, um, how many times they actually threw the ball. I think with now that you have Ethan Kalik Manis in there, he is this offense is built around him. I mean, he is a big, strong, really nice arm quarterback. Um, so I think we're gonna see, and they went out and hit the portal hard to find wide receivers. They brought in two transfers who are gonna be in their top five receivers. I just think you're gonna see a more balanced approach this year whether it's 50-50 or whatever, I don't know if it'll hit that number, but I think we got a glimpse of it against Wisconsin in the regular season finale last yeah. year where Kalik Manis threw the ball 30 times or 29 times. But within that, there was probably five to seven deep balls, vertical passing. And I just think we're going to see a, a different-looking offense this year. Will they rank? I don't think we're going to see them rank in the single digits in uh, average <laughs> pass attempts. Could they possibly at least though rank in the double digits in terms of where they rank among the, you know, hundred and what a hundred and how many do how many teams? Hundred thirty one in the hundred and thirty one. They've never ranked better than a hundred and fifth. That was the year that they had the, the the year they they had Tanner Morgan right, and and they were doing yeah. They've never ranked higher than 105th in pass attempts per game. So always in the triple digits, always kind of built around the run game. Like you said, some of that probably has to do with personnel. Some of that is philosophy. But if if we're saying this could be the year they change, what took them so long? There, there should have yeah. been a better balance before. I well, feel like there were some missed opportunities in years past to do this already. Yeah, and I, I've, uh, I, I would say this is probably the biggest thing that PJ and I – I don't know if argues right over it. Disagree. Uh, yeah. Disagree, butt heads on. Um, his hopefully he loves trestle ball, right? Run the ball, play good defense. Um, the reason, uh, you know, their defense has been dynamic, you know, uh, under Joe Rossi. And part of that is because they're not on the field that much. They like to chew the clock and, and, and they've had this, you know, generational running back, Mo Ibrahim, who uh, was just, he could handle that. He could be the bell guy. You could give it to him what was it, 19 straight times or whatever it was at the end of Iowa. Right. But but I always felt like that there was a ceiling on that approach because yes. eventually you're going to make a mistake. It's too hard to sustain those drives all the time. They had to work so hard to score where sometimes it's nice just to have a quick score, right? You throw a ball yes. and you score. Yeah. And it, and it just makes it easy. And I understand P, that's PJ's philosophy, um, but it really puts a lot of stress on your offense to be perfect or close to perfect where you're not making mistakes. And, and it's, and the problem was when they needed to be able to pass the ball, it's not a light switch. Okay. We're right. going to neglect it. And then all of a sudden now we're going to be able right. to pass the ball. It doesn't work that way. And so part of it was personnel and having this terrific running back 
Um, part of it is just PJ's personality. But I, I, I think he realizes now is they don't have that running back that's the guy you're going to get to 30 times. They brought in Sean Tyler from Western Michigan, and he's looked good in camp. He's, he's definitely a fast um, a faster guy. Um, there's some guys behind him. They're st- still trying to figure out the roles and, and all that. But your best player is your quarterback. Like that's, you know, uh, you want to see him throw the ball and you have some wide receivers. Now I think they have five wide receivers that are proven that they can trust um, in multiple roles. And so wide receiver went from a position where, man, who do they have? I don't know how good they are there to all of a sudden now it's a strength, a team strength. And so I just think the personnel has shifted and uh, caused them to rethink how they want to attack Defense, they're not going to abandon runs, as PJ not. said. Yeah. It's not going to be air raider run and shoot, but he's on record saying he would love it if it was 50 50. Is Ethan that guy? I mean, we don't probably know fully yet, but I mean, they, they seem to have a lot of con- if they're if they're going to do this, that means they have a lot of confidence in him. Yeah, I need to see more, but man, I like what I see. He, I mean, the size, the arm strength, the poise, the fearlessness. Um, he looks the part, Mike. Now he has to prove it, and there's going to be growing pains. And young, I mean, young quarterbacks are going to make mistakes in the Big Ten. And I and I hope when he throws that bad interception or a costly interception, it doesn't cause them to retreat into okay, let's go back to running the ball because we we've seen that from PJ where, right. and, and not just the quarterback, but maybe a wide receiver. I think as much as they didn't trust the wide receivers in in years past, where something would happen and PJ is like, okay, forget that. Let's just run the ball. We can beat this team just running the ball. And it happened a lot in, in the, you know, the non-conference games, but even some in the, in the conference games that they're good enough running the ball just to beat teams without really having to pass it. Well, again, that has a lower ceiling. And so I hope when there are hiccups that they're able to just let him work through those because the talent's there. I, I talked to Adam Weber last year um, about, uh, Cali Manis, and he said physically it's all there. I mean, and he thinks, you know, once he gets more experience, uh, and this is a guy who played that position for a number of years for the Gophers yeah. and played at a high level, he said he thinks he's a real deal and can be a terrific quarterback for him. Well, and he's got a, he's got some dual threat to him, right? I mean, cause he, yes, he can run. Oh, yeah. He can run. I mean, he's not, you know, I don't think he's going to be running for 80 yard touchdowns, but I'm just looking at his game log from last year. I mean, aside from the, bowl game he had you know the the long run of every game he had was over 10 yards like he's gonna he keeps them honest at least with you know four to six carries every game in addition to being able to throw where tanner wouldn't do that i mean more so than tanner i mean this this, he gives them something that tanner tanner did not give them um and that ability to keep it and run it uh like you say it's not going to be 15 20 carry guy no he's, he's not that but he will He'll keep a defense honest when when they're when they're doing um, the RPO game, and so physically, it's all there. I mean, there's no doubt about it. And I like the way he handles himself. Um, I really like the way he played in that get in that Wisconsin game. That yeah. that sort of opened my eyes. I mean, you're going against a top 15 defense uh, on the road, and just to make the plays that he did uh, was pretty pretty eye opening. I think, and and I think having that experience last year where he's not just coming in and hasn't been a starter. Like, yeah. okay, this is all new to him. He has not a ton of experience, but enough in some big games. I mean, you're playing at Wisconsin. Um, 
I think that'll help him in terms – and I've talked to players about this last week, just the leadership and ownership of this. Okay, this is your offense now. This is your team. I think he he just feels like he's more in command. Um, and it probably helped having Tanner there to help him through that process last year too. But I, I just I, – I think it's all there if he can put it together. Um, I think he could be pretty special. I know you're working on some national college stuff right now. We can save some of the big, big picture stuff for maybe another another time in a couple few weeks here. But thinking about the Gophers and kind of where they fit in to the Big Ten to the national picture, like what what's the expectation, at least from your from your opinion, from what else you're reading about you know what how we should frame this season right now? Well, it's it's um, their schedule's tough. I mean, yeah. You look at it, most people, uh, the big publications projected as the second hardest uh, schedule in college football. I mean, you're, you know, Ohio State, Michigan, at Iowa, at North Carolina, which has a Heisman Trophy candidate and Drake May, who's probably going to be the number two overall pick. Um, so it's, it's a hard schedule. And you're, and it's a, it's interesting because all these names and faces that we've known for five, six years, Tanner Morgan, Mo Ibrahim, John Michael Schmidt, Story Marin, all these guys that have played a lot of football for they're gone. So this is a completely new team. I mean, it is you need a roster and study it to figure out who some of these guys are. They had a lot of guys hit the portal, a lot of guys they brought in from the portal. Um, so it's it's a new, it's a it's a new team, but I don't want to say it's a young team. Cause they have, you know, you're bringing in portal guys that have college experience somewhere. So it's not like these are freshmen. These are guys no. who played college football. So it's a new team, but not a young team. Um, PJ's, you know, he's high on them. It's a tough schedule. Uh, it's last chance to win the West, you know, um, yeah. before, before the divisions go away in the big 10, I, I would, if you pin me down today, I would say Iowa would be my favorite to win um, the West, but I think it's, uh, I think there's still teams that are, have questions to be answered, even Iowa with their quarterback. I mean, you look at all the new coaches in the West. You look at all the new quarterbacks in the West. Um, so there's a lot of uh, teams that have to prove things. Um, but this is, you know, this is the last year before all heck breaks loose in college football. Yeah. You're going to be adding yeah. four new schools next year in the Big Ten, no divisions. So this is uh, this is the last opportunity to try to win the West. You can't truly be considered young if you have a wide receiver who is in <laughs> his seventh right. season and is older than Justin Jefferson. <laughs> That's right. And and it'll be, you know, Chris Ottman Bell, and uh, he's been, I don't even know what classes you take when you've been on campus seven years. Uh, <laughs> I don't but, know. <laughs> but, uh, you know, coming back from injury, and, and he's um, he's in that wide receiver mix. But, yeah, it's it's – uh, that's and that's what college sports are and college football uh, specifically for this is when you have the portal, your team's going to change, but it doesn't mean you're in the classic as we think rebuild mode. Yeah. Where, okay, we got to be young for a couple years and they'll get no. I mean, you shouldn't have to go through that with the portal. You should be able to bring in guys now. Whether those guys are good enough to play at the level you want them to, as we saw with Gophers basketball, that's you right. know you have you have to bring in guys that are. Uh, ready to produce at the level that you're at, but um, it's not like you have to, you shouldn't have to rely on a bunch of freshmen anymore in college sports. Speaking of competitive rebuilds, Chip, um, (laughs) we watched the Vikings in their first preseason game last Thursday. 
saw some good things that took a 10 nothing lead and my my one I had a bunch of takeaways from that game that I talked about last week but one of kind of the overarching takeaway I think I had and I want to hear what you think is that kind of that that first layer of depth at least in that game seemed okay cuz you know it was only yeah. a handful of projected starters that were playing and the rest of it is mostly like second team guys at the beginning and I thought Ty Chandler looked good. I like Nick. Nick yeah. Mullins seemed like he was fine. Like he was like, okay, if if something ever happened to Kirk Cousins for a game or two, you could probably survive with someone like Nick Mullins. That'd be okay. Some of their other guys, their defensive players, seemed like they they had some some ability. But once you got past that, uh, yeah. you know, kind of the the next the bottom ten or fifteen players on the roster, they got they got worked over pretty good by Seattle. Yeah, and and you know how many of those guys are actually going to make the team. Remember, there's going to be a lot of cuts. And when you get down that far, those guys are are not going to be part of your equation. Um, the the Ty Chandler thing's interesting to me. Uh, I he For me, he him specifically and, and Lewis Seen, I think were the two that I wanted to see the most of. Um, because there's a thing. Uh, if Alex Madison rolls his ankle, yeah, are you, are you comfortable with Ty Chandler playing two games? Um, the fact that they, you know, brought in a running back, um, for a workout, Kareem Hunt, yeah, Kareem Hunt, and and in much the same way that they brought in Reisner as yep. a guard to look at, um, tells me that they're not completely comfortable that they no. want to see. Um, I don't think this is just hey, let's kick the tires because this guy's on the you know looking for a job. Let's see. Um, but I, I did think Ty Chandler had a nice game and, yes, and probably and, and probably uh maybe swayed the coaching staff a little bit in their thinking in terms of okay yeah i mean maybe we can trust them but as i think o'connell said it has to be every day yeah they have to be able to know that because odds are i mean is madison going to be able to play all 17 games you know i mean you have to i think with that position you have to go in thinking you need to have a backup that you're going to have to play two or three games um, as a starter. And yeah. so like, like Madison uh, always did when cook was here. I mean, that was kind of the correct kind of the MO. And, you know, if, if you think of Chandler, if you, he's got to build up that trust, but he seems like he's on a track to be what Madison was. Um, yeah. But then beyond that, it's the, the depth gets awfully sketchy gets after that. Yeah. And that's assuming we trust Chandler. And that's it. And so I, I still think Mike, before it's all said and done, I think they bring in a veteran running back. I do. Yeah. Um, with Kane being hurt, hurt the whole camp, you can't really trust him to be in that mix. So I, I, I wouldn't be surprised um, if they do eventually bring in a, a veteran running back for that group. And then Lewisine, it's interesting, man. Every now and again, you'll see a flash, like the first play of the yeah. game. Yeah. Uh, nice play there. There was a play in training camp one of the first weeks where he just was shot like out of a cannon, gets an interception, but it's just, just not consistent. Um, it just hasn't, uh, you don't see it more than just occasional flashes from him. So I, I don't know if he's going to be relegated to special teams this year. And I mean, when you look at the safeties ahead of him, it, it, the coaching staff just seems to trust those guys more than they do him at this point. So, yeah. um, you know, he looks fine physically in terms of being healed and all that. I mean, that, that doesn't seem to be an issue, but just the consistency that he has to show. Yeah. And I think Suhan wrote about this the other day, and I've written about this before too. It's a big year for uh, Cuesa do Fomenza's 2022 
draft picks. Chandler, Asamoah, Evans, Andrew Jr., Asin, Ingram. I mean, those guys, like, it's the second year, so you don't say, like, you know, this is like a a make-or-break year, but it is to a degree, and they're counting on to varying degrees, all of these guys in a certain way, like you don't have to have Lewis seen play great this year. Cause you've got some depth there, but you'd like it. If your number one pick your first round pick in 2022 was ready to play in 2023, even if he missed most of last year with that injury. Well, that's it. I mean, these guys are going to be counted on. They need yeah, to have development have to guys because when you look at, uh, when you look at the big contracts that they're going to have to pay out here, Jefferson, um, Darisaw, We'll see what they do at quarterback. Yeah, you need guys on your first contracts to be productive players for them. I mean, it, that's that's the whole idea of this competitive rebuild. They've turned this roster. Look how young some of those positions are. Yeah. So, so this I asked Kevin O'Connell about this last uh, week for a column I'm working. I was like, there needs to be some serious development going on with this roster because they're clearly counting on young guys being starters and playing significant roles. Asamoa, you need him to be a player. Yeah. You just do. I mean, there's there's no denying that, arguing that. Um, the fact that they had to bring in Reisner for a look, let's well, either Ingram or Cleveland, one of the two. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't I don't think that and I, it could be both. Uh I don't yeah. think they they should be content with where they're at in the interior of their offensive line. So um yeah, that 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 class needs to step up and, and show them something because you, you know, I, I think about this, Mike, when we talk about the old regime. Yeah. Look at the defensive players. Who on that, in that defense, would you say is a foundational cornerstone piece? That they've, I mean, yeah, I mean, I mean, right a now, lot just of- the, the whole defense, who would you say is a cornerstone piece? A, 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 a sure course, like Jefferson, Darisaw. Yeah, a lot Ryan of guys are off on offense. Yeah, I mean, it defensively, like if they were, if they had a better relationship right now with Daniel Hunter, you could maybe say that about Daniel Hunter, but that's a 2015 draft pick. Yeah. Like who have but they, if even if, who have they drafted that you say this guy's going to get the next contract or this guy's going to get in line for a big contract in the way we're talking about Darisaw, Jefferson? You know, nobody. Uh, TJ Hawk, TJ Hawkinson. I don't see that on defense. I don't see it either. No, and part of and that. So is they, the, yeah, bad drafts, bad drafts and bad drafts, and they really like they really you know the defense was good for so long that they were like okay we got to draft for offense and kind of build up the offensive line things like that. But yeah, they missed on some defensive players like the the corners they missed on, yeah. and you know tried to go went through all those guys you know some of. The, the defensive line guys that they picked, you know, not the line, super yeah. early, but what's that? Yeah, the defensive line. And and so when they went heavy defense, you know, and this, they need those guys to be yeah. to become players for them in a bad way. Yeah. So they do. it's a big year for them. Yeah. I think that's the biggest question going into this year is can the tw- can the class of 2022 can you get enough out of that first draft class to be, you know, can you hit on 50 to 80% of those guys that you're leaning on can the depth of everybody else, you know, you got to have either Evans yeah. or Booth for sure. And then for, you know, preferably both be players for you this year. Awesome. Oh, for sure. Chandler, if he's going to be the number two running back, he's going to have a lot of, a lot of responsibility. Mm-hmm. Um, Lewis seen like he's not, 
it's not as desperate because they've got depth, like I said, but he was your first pick. Like he was your that was yeah. the first draft pick Quasi Dofomensa ever made, and he traded down twenty spots to do it. So well, that's the that's the thing is that like the what you had to do to make that pick, and then um, for him, you're I mean injury, okay, you can't help that, but uh, you need to start to see signs that okay, this is going somewhere, right? Yeah, that the improvements happening that next year, um, you know, depending on where they go with Harrison and all that, is he going to be able to step in and be a, a starter and a high level performer for you? It's a big year. I mean, it's an absolutely yeah. big year for that class. I agree. Um, Chip, really quick, we were talking at the beginning before we started recording about the NFLization of sports. I think it shows up dramatically in Timberwolves fandom, but especially in Twins fandom where they play ten times, roughly 10 times as many games, not, not quite 10 times as many. Now the NFL has a 17-game schedule, but almost 10 times as many games in baseball. And we've gotten into this mode now where we treat all of these games almost like life or death and... When a team has a two or three game losing streak, the you know everything's the the sky is falling, and when they start winning, everything is fine. And then we kind of go through these cycles. What what's your big picture take on the Twins? They're 120 games into this season. Um, yeah, they're three fourths of the way in. We've we've got a big sample size. They're in first place. The division's not great. We know these things. What, what's your big picture takeaway about the team right now? Yeah, I mean they've been frustrating, and I think I'm, I'm guilty of the infilization too that we're so conditioned to think about a game being magnified because it's once a week where baseball was, you know, uh, you can't do that. Uh, obviously, uh, the starting staff continues to, um, that's the one thing when you look about, okay, win the division, get to the playoffs. They have to show they can win a game, but um, the fact that they have reliable pitching now probably changes your, at least your mood or perspective about the team. The, the lineup still, you know, comes and goes with the hitting and, and, you know, I think part of it is we thought that Buxton and Correa would lead this team, which they just have not no. at all. It's been players that we hadn't even heard of <laughs> before this year yeah. and, and, and that are playing key roles. And so that's, that's, I think the Buxton and Correa struggles. I mean, Correa has been better. Um, and, and the guys that we know, up until you know All Star Game, Kepler was really struggling. Blanca was gone. I think that's skewed the way we've looked at this team a lot. Um, but if you step back and say, you know what, their starting pitching is going to give them a chance to be relevant. I mean that that uh, it's a, it's a you know a good starting staff, and um, so I think that's probably to me the overriding thing when I look at this team. Yeah, it, it's just a weird thing because we're. You know, we, we're conditioned to be reactive. We're conditioned to yeah. kind of poke holes in this. But you know, they have a they have a comfortable lead, not an insurmountable lead, but a comfortable lead in a bad division. They've got an easy schedule where they're playing a lot of bad teams. They're playing them at Target Field. Like it's going to take a lot for them to not win this division with how it all is laid out right now. And people are still kind of agitated and angry about this team. And I'm, I'm guilty of it too. They, when they lost those four in a row and they've been bad against Detroit, bad against Kansas city, you're like, what is going on here? And then they, you know, and then they go and beat a good Philadelphia team twice in a row. And you're like, Oh, okay. That's what they're doing here. Like, do we just need to kind of stop it? Do we need to stop, you know, being so micro on, on baseball or is it, is it fair to, to, to be that way with this team? I think that's driven by, well, I know it's driven by the lack of postseason 
postseason yeah. success. I 18, mean, yeah, 18 when you have their losing streak that they have, um, and that just, I mean, that's everything's viewed through that lens, right? And there, I don't think the front office or the manager are particularly popular with the fan base to begin with. Um, and so anytime you have a bad stretch or you play terrible, I mean, listen, if you get swept by Kansas City, you're going to get hammered. I'm sorry. Yeah. People aren't, we're not going to tell you how great things are. Um, and so that's, that's the thing is, is baseball, you know, so many teams are, you know, highs and lows. Yeah. And, and, and so, um, but I just think the negativity that comes with that losing streak until they until they put an end to that and show that they're capable of doing something in the postseason, the skepticism's not going away. No. And I think that's fair. I think I think it's totally fair. Now it's you know, it might make the season enjoyable for you if you're always so right. pessimistic and angry at the team. You may not enjoy baseball as much, but but I you know that I, I understand why fans have that um that reaction. Yeah, and maybe a final point on this too. I think they have a clear identity. It's their starting pitching, and to a degree, their bullpen has been fairly reliable, especially you know Duran. But I think it's harder for fans to latch on to good pitching than good hitting. Like it's it's yeah when you when you don't hit that well and you're inconsistent offensively, those are those are holes to that are easily to poke. Well, you know, pitching tends to be. I don't know. It's not a, it's not as exciting to win three one as it is to win seven five, but they all count the same. And the starting pitching's been great. Like it had a little yeah. bit of a lull, but like man, Pablo Lopez is just cruising right now. Sonny Gray has been really good. Ober's been pretty good. Maida's been great since he came back from injury. Like they're stacked in the rotation, and it's it's maybe underappreciated. Well, and I do think it's because when you talk about the hitting, I think it's the strikeouts one. Um. I know Joey Gallo had, you know, a nice game the other day, but it, it's seeing Buxton and Gallo and Correa and Kepler and these guys struggle. I mean, the faces of your team really do nothing. Your highest paid players, you know, really have uh, off years and poor years at the yeah. plate. I think that's where it comes from, too. It's the approach. It's it's uh, all the strikeouts that they're having. I think that's where the frustration comes from. Well, we'll see if the Twins take some early pressure off the Vikings or if if it's vice versa. It always feels like we got to have one or the other. Maybe we'll have both going pretty well in September and even into October, and maybe we'll have yeah. football going too. We'll see. It could be a fun fall. A lot of unknowns, though, right now, I think, with both those football teams, and that that always makes it worth watching. Um, Chip, you're always worth listening to. Appreciate you jumping, uh, jumping on the show, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, Mikey. Appreciate it, man. Good stuff from Chip, as always. Um, I love that this drives him crazy because not much gets Chip, uh, not much gets Chip riled up. But the fact that the Gophers have been such a a run dominant team over the years, the fact that he disagrees with PJ Fleck on that, and that maybe that will change this year. I love that because the that, like I said, Chip is one of the the nicest, most agreeable guys that I know. The fact that this bothers him still, um, that 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 just kind of makes me smile because I love I love when Chip gets agitated and Chip gets riled up, and I think this is a good a good topic because this is affects the Gophers and could affect them this season let's finish with the cooler michael Orr, the subject of the 2009 movie the blind side previously a book by michael lewis uh coincidentally one of my favorite authors um he is suing the uh tuhi family that um allegedly adopted him now the, the central 
part of this story of between Michael Orr and the Tuhi family is that they adopted him. They, you know, he grew up in poverty. They adopted him into their family. He's saying they never actually adopted him, saying actually they, uh, they, he signed into a conservatorship instead. And now he's saying they reaped a whole bunch of profits from the movie that he didn't get turning contentious now he has a new book out this week um so maybe some of this you know some of this i'm not saying it's not true i'm, I'm very much sounds like it's an interesting um an interesting piece of his life um and I, I have no reason to doubt that it's true but some of the timing of this could be because he has this new book out but just the story of how maybe this was all a different story than we were told. This is just a fascinating thing to me. You should go read more about it. Michael Orr saying that, you know, basically the premise of the blind side is not all that you thought it was. And sometimes when we find that there was a, you know, a story that has resonated, and this story has resonated for a long time with me and for a lot of people, when you find out that it maybe was not how it seemed to be, and that Michael Orr has perhaps been you know, not given what he was fully uh, supposed to get, and this family has maybe profited off of him in a way that feels really gross. If what he's saying is true, uh, that is quite the uh, quite the bombshell, quite the uh, quite the uh, quite the thing to think about. So go read more about that. I might write about more about that today as well. So uh, yeah, quite the story that came out on Monday. That is it for me today. Thanks so much for joining me here on Daily Delivery. Good stuff coming up later this week. I think I'm going to have Brock Faber from the Minnesota Wild on a show later this week, so listen up for that. Until then, enjoy the summer. It's still here. It's still summer, you guys. Enjoy the summer. Don't worry about what's coming. Just enjoy the summer, and we'll talk to you again tomorrow.